You're listening to a podcast from City Tribe Media. We're an urban tribe that helps people who feel far from God to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. For more fresh content, check City Tribe on YouTube, Instagram, or Facebook. Enjoy the message and welcome to the tribe. Now here's Lee Wong. Howdy tribe. Hello to everyone joining us digitally, everybody listening via audio podcast and everyone in the video cafe. Oh, I can't forget about you guys here in the Cameo Theater. Hello to y'all. My name's Lee, as uh, Pastor Joe said. And yeah, we are concluding our five-part series that we've called Resilient. And over the last several weeks, we've journeyed through a letter that has been collected for us in our Bibles. It was written in the first century by one of Jesus, God in human form, Jesus' closest companions, Peter. And so we chose to go through this letter because Peter, he gave encouragement as to how Jesus' followers might endure whenever we're mistreated or whenever we're ridiculed or if we're suffering and our faith begins to wane. Now, today we're going to be in the fifth and final section of 1 Peter, and at least from the perspective of the letter's original recipients, Peter, he culminated with a climactic conclusion. He went, I would say, he went out with a bang, and his recipients, they would have been inspired, they would have been motivated to live out what Peter encouraged, and here's why. So Peter, he made two huge promises. The first promise he made was that if his audience continued in their devotion to Jesus, and if they lived according to what he said to do, then our Heavenly Father, he would provide a sense of relief and release from whatever stressful circumstances they were experiencing. That our Father would refresh them and their suffering, it wouldn't be in vain, but their character would be refined and ultimately they would be seen as a display of resilience. Peter had it written this way. He said that the God of all grace will himself restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you have suffered a little while. But not just that. Peter made a second promise. And that second promise, he essentially said that their lives, they will have counted for something. They would have made a tremendous impact in the lives of others around them. That the folks who did as he encouraged, they will have played an integral role in changing culture and in changing history. And as a result, they would be seen as influential and their lives would be celebrated, not just by folks on this earth in this life, but by all of heaven in eternity that Jesus himself will one day recognize them with eternal rewards. Peter had it written this way. He said, when Jesus, the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Now, anyone here want to be relieved and refreshed or refined? Anybody here, city tribe, anybody want to be recognized and rewarded in this life and in Jesus's kingdom to come? Let me hear it. If y'all want to experience what Peter is promising y'all, let's see it in the chat feature. I know I want to experience that. And y'all know our heart here at city tribe. That's our desire for you guys. We want you to experience your best possible life. And so today we are going to explore how you might and how I might experience the fulfillment of those two promises to be relieved and to be rewarded. But as always, before we do, would y'all just join me in asking our Father by his Spirit to speak to us in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just ask that with whatever distractions we came in here with, whatever our mind has been racing with, whatever preconceived ideas or uh, any prejudgments that we might have, we ask that you would just drown all that out 
and center us and help us be focused, especially in these next few moments, to listen for whatever it is you have to say to us through your scriptures. Lord, we want to hear from you and learn and be transformed. And as for me, Lord, personally, as always, just use me as an instrument. Use me as your vessel. May the words that come out of my mouth be an accurate depiction of who you are and your love for everyone listening and uh, whatever missteps or misstatements that are sure to happen, I just pray that folks would not be distracted by that, but hear the entire context of my heart for you. I pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. And so, what must you do and what do I have to do in order to not only be relieved and refreshed, but to also be recognized and uh, rewarded in this life and the next? Well, based on what Peter dictated in this concluding portion of his letter, it's pretty clear that he was influenced by a very particular occasion that occurred with Jesus many years prior. And so for us to make the most out of what we're going to explore in this section of Peter's letter today, let's revisit that moment in Peter's past. So y'all flash back with me. Let's put a pin in studying Peter's letter, which was written around the mid-60s AD, and let's flash back about three decades to around the year 33 AD. All right, so here we go. Here's this flashback. We're in 33 AD-ish. As Jesus and his disciples made an uphill trek to the city of Jerusalem, the disciples, they began to banter and bicker amongst one another as to who, when Jesus finally established his kingdom on this earth, who would be the most important, who would be most prominent and instilled in a position of power. And given how Peter, how he's portrayed all throughout the scriptures as somebody who's kind of like pompous, he's self-absorbed, he's really self-assured, you and I, we can guarantee that Peter was forcefully vocal about how Jesus would recognize him and reward him as being the greatest and as being the most faithful. And hearing the ruckus that was going on among the disciples, I imagine that Jesus stopped them in their tracks. And he corrected the disciples. And he clarified exactly how his followers were to conduct themselves and how they were to be characterized. And if you are new to the faith, and if you're wondering who Jesus is and what Jesus's movement is all about, or if you're just returning to church for the first time in a long time because you have been turned off by how some supposed Jesus followers have characterized Christianity, well then y'all pay attention and be encouraged because to his followers who were simply concerned with positions and prominence and power, Jesus said to them essentially this, y'all fellas, hold up. Y'all know how certain authorities, how they like to control and how they like to dominate and how they like to oppress other people in order to prop themselves up. And you know how much you hate that feeling. And y'all know how they only care about their positions in order to only had their own pockets. They self-promote. They're self-interested. You hate their hypocrisy. And so anyone who is my follower must not be about their own interests. Here's what's actually recorded that Jesus said. He said, you know that the rulers of the various other races in the world or the Gentiles, how they lord it over them. You guys remember that part, how they lord their power and authority over people. And Those in high positions, how they act as tyrants. They're oppressive and suppressive. It must not be like that among you. 
And if y'all have ever been corrected by a parent in front of your, your siblings or your cousins, if you've ever been corrected by a teacher in front of your classmates or corrected by a boss in front of your coworkers, then you know that flush feeling of embarrassment that Peter had to have felt. And so it's probably the reason why he was marked by this occasion. But Jesus didn't stop there. He continued with his correction. Jesus then contrasted what conduct in his kingdom actually gets recognized and what conduct actually gets rewarded. And what Jesus communicated was something along these lines. He said to his disciples, y'all, in my kingdom, the people who are celebrated are those who kick up dust. They move really quickly in order to meet others' needs, to relieve them and to refresh them. In my kingdom, the people who are most prominent are those who forego their own self-serving interests and they commit their lives to serving our heavenly father's interests, which is to care for the well-being of everyone. And the people who will have a lasting impact and build their influence, they are the ones who use their lives to help others experience life as I intended, a life of peace and a life of promise about their futures, a life of passion where they feel fulfilled. Here's the way what Jesus said was actually recorded. He said, on the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your what? And whoever wants to be first, whoever wants to be prominent among you must be your slave. Just as I, Jesus, the one with all power and authority, the creator of the heavens of earth, I, the son of man, did not come to be served. And if anybody was going to be somebody to be served, it was Jesus. I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as the ransom. For the many to serve as a sacrifice, to die an excruciatingly painful and humiliating and shameful death in our place. Jesus, he was pretty clear that if anyone wanted to be relieved and refreshed, that if you and I want to be recognized and rewarded, we have to be more concerned with others' well-being than our own. Now let's end that flashback. And y'all, let's flash forward again 30 years to around the mid-60s AD when Peter was having his letter dictated and having recalled what Jesus was teaching and how it was impactful for him about what gets rewarded and what gets recognized. Peter, he encouraged the mistreated recipients by repackaging Jesus's teachings. And he essentially said, as if to say, To be a servant for other people, to be a slave for God's interest in the kingdom movement, to care for others' well-beings, to guide and guard them, to protect and provide for them. He said, shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, not being self-interested, but willingly, as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. And not, and y'all remember this, this is almost a verbatim regurgitation of what he had heard from Jesus three decades prior and not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock, the people that are in your care, in your tribe, in your family, in your class. And then to drive home his point, Peter, he communicated an idea that's best conveyed by that great, that classic theological work, uh, Disney's Cinderella. And so do y'all remember how in that 1950s animated film, Cinderella had two best friends, right? These two little bluebirds. And in the mornings, they would wake her up and sing a song with her and they would clothe her in a white apron. 
Well, that white apron, it signified that Cinderella, she was unlike her evil stepmother and her malicious stepsisters. That white apron that Cinderella wore, it signified that she was her stepfamily's slave or their servant who carried out every single one of their commands and met their every need. Well, this idea of a white apron that identified somebody as a slave, it's actually adopted from real life. So here's a brief scenario. Let's say you and I, we lived in the first century Roman world, and we were coming down the street, the dusty roads on opposite ends, and you saw me wearing a white apron. Well, automatically in your mind, you would say, ah, that guy Lee right there, he's a slave. His life belongs to a master. And I can tell based on this distinctive feature that Lee is wearing that his role is to care for the interests and the possessions of his master. And so with that idea of a distinctive feature that identifies a slave with that idea in mind, Peter, he essentially said to the recipients of his letter, he said, y'all, in the same way that a white apron identifies a slave in our world, that this slave is to care for his master's interests and possessions, well then, let the distinguishing characteristic of your life that tells the world that you are a Jesus follower, that you are a slave to his movement, let the distinguishing characteristic be that you think more of others and you think of others more. Peter said it this way. He said, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Y'all, if you're taking notes, if you're following along in the scriptures, this is one of those verses that you highlight or you underline or you circle. If you're taking notes, you write this down. We got to internalize this statement. Here, I'm going to repeat it. Peter said, all of you, that's all of us. Everybody watching digitally, listening to the audio podcast, everybody here in the Cameo Theater or in the video cafe, all of you, clothe yourselves with Humility, the distinctive, distinguishing factor, characteristic in your life needs to be how you treat others, that you think more highly of others and you think of others more often than yourself. And so Peter, he wanted his recipients and he wanted you and me to know that if we are eventually going to be relieved, that if your character is going to be refined, that if you are going to be recognized as impactful and eventually receive your eternal rewards, you and I, we can't just think of ourselves less often. And we certainly can't think of only ourselves always. No, you and I, we have to think more highly of others and think of others more regularly than we think of ourselves, like a unique article of clothing that we wear that distinguishes us from the rest of the world. Humility has to be the distinguishing factor for us. So when people look at us, they will say, ah, that person is a follower of Jesus. And a modern example of this is City Tribe's very own tribe engagement pastor, Joe Mena. Now, Joe, is he serves on the team that I serve on, and he will regularly stop me in my tracks before meetings, after meetings, sometimes during meetings, or he'll randomly send me text messages to check in on how I'm doing. And those of you who have been a part of any of the tribes that Joe has led, like his walking tribe, for example, you know that he will stop at the drop of a hat to simply be a listening ear for you. Perhaps you've seen him sitting on the bench with somebody outside the cameo theater 
you know that he has been present with you in your crises, perhaps bedside at the hospital with your family, perhaps graveside at the funeral, simply so you know you're not alone. And so you know how much you are valued by him and by our heavenly Father, in fact, to support folks who are persevering through their grief because of the loss of somebody, Joe even started the bereavement tribe. Joe's concern for others' well-being is why our team hired him in order to train up other people, to train up you guys to serve and to be a slave to others like he does. I remember after his interview, all of the panelists that were involved in it, we huddled together and we just all sat back and we thought, man, what the world needs, what this tribe needs is more Joes. Why? Because he thinks more of others and he thinks of others more than himself. In fact, to get better at that, just yesterday, and you guys wouldn't know this unless I told you he's that humble. Just yesterday, he graduated with a second master's in chaplaincy. Can we give a round of applause to Pastor Joe up in here? Recognizing there's, he's still got a lot to learn, right? He distinctly clothes himself in humility. Now, practically speaking, for you and for me, we think more of others, and we think of others more. We clothe ourselves in humility when we seek to understand other people's perspectives and their experiences and their emotions before we bulldoze them with criticisms and accusations or imposing on them, imparting to them motives. You and I, we clothe ourselves in humility when we ask how we can contribute to another person's success, how we can help them accomplish or attain their dreams in their hearts instead of throwing a hissy fit and pouting whenever we're passed up for promotions or when our project or our, our idea isn't the one that's chosen. We clothe ourselves in humility when we use whatever power, whatever resources we have to help meet others' needs instead of seeing people simply as a means off of which to profit or as stepping stones to our success. Even more simply, more practically, we humble ourselves, we clothe ourselves in humility when we just try to learn someone's name and talk to them by their name, when we learn their birthdays and remember memorable occasions that are important to them. Now, I, I get it. I get that thinking more of others and thinking of others more. It's a counterintuitive way to experience relief and to end our suffering and to feeling refreshed and to being recognized as somebody who's prominent, right? We're supposed to assert ourselves. Humility, it just sounds so weak. It sounds so soft. It's not strong. And actually, it's pretty interesting that Peter, I mean, this is like a 180 in his thinking from somebody who was self-absorbed and pious and pompous and arrogant and something that changed his mind. So the question really is, what changed this once self-absorbed Peter's perspective? And why should you and I be convinced that clothing ourselves in humility is in fact the path to an impactful and influential life? Well, the first reason was actually pretty low-hanging fruit for Peter, and it's pretty funny as to what he said. He basically said, y'all, look, okay, if you knew someone who not only predicted that they would be crucified and buried, and then three days later that they would be raised from the dead, among many other predictions that this person made, and then they actually pulled off those predictions, he came back to life, well, then you too would hang on to every word that that person ever said. Peter reminded his recipients, he reminded his audience that he was a witness to the sufferings 
of Christ. Y'all, people don't come back from crucifixions is what Peter is saying. And his point to you and his point to me is, hello, Jesus has power over even death. And so if he said that the way to being recognized and to receiving rewards is the way to the life that you desire, then you can trust it. And Y'all know me, right? If you've been around City Tribe for a long time, I like to get into the apologetics of why you can believe in Jesus, why following him is the best decision of your life. But we won't have time for that today. I have to cut that right now. So let me encourage you, pay attention to the next time we advertise Jesus 101 and get to Jesus 101. My hope is that everyone in the tribe at some point will participate in the Jesus 101 fireside because we will look at the evidence, the historical, the philosophical, the sociological evidence, why you can believe Jesus is real, why he was raised from the dead, and why following him is the best decision you'll ever make. But, all right, let's move on. So, if interacting with a resurrected Jesus, if that wasn't persuading enough for Peter, there were actually several other proofs that further persuaded Peter that, that should persuade you and me that we are to clothe ourselves in humility. That's the best approach to living our life. So, consider this. The message that a poor and humble man from the despised region of Galilee who was condemned to die a sinner's death on a cross, a very humiliating way to die. The message that he was God in human form, it was ridiculous. It was offensive to both the Jews and to the Romans such that countless efforts were made to prevent the spread of Jesus's movement. They tried to snuff it out. Remember, propagators, they were harassed and they were beaten. Some were thrown in jail. Some were executed, beheaded, or burned alive, right? That's part of the reason why Peter was writing his letter. And so Jesus' movement, think about this. It should have never made it out of Israel where it started. Much less being propagated and permeated thousands of miles throughout the pagan and self-indulgent Roman Empire. And yet, against all odds, without social media, without radio, without television, or any sort of commercials, the message that Jesus is God, it spread like an uncontainable wildfire throughout the ancient world to the far reaches of it. Jesus's popularity had grown so great by the time Peter wrote his letter in the mid-60s AD that historians believe, and, and again, this is crazy to consider without social media, without television, it had grown to about 100,000 Followers. I mean, cars and airplanes couldn't take this message. It had to have been by word of mouth. And so the very fact that three decades later, Peter was writing a letter to various Jesus-centered communities in the region known as Asia Minor, it's a miracle. The very fact that we have Peter's letter, that we are reading it, is a miracle. We should not have that. And Jesus' popularity... It fulfilled yet another prediction that Jesus made when he said that anyone who regards others as more important than themselves, they will be popular and prominent and praised. Jesus said it this way. He said, whoever humbles himself will be exalted, will be praised, will be prominent. And seeing how in just 30 years, Jesus had become exalted worldwide. This was yet another reason that Peter was persuaded that we, that you and I, we need to do just as Jesus said, that we need to clothe ourselves in humility, but also check this. So today we have a privilege that Peter did not have. 
We have the privilege of historical perspective. You and I, we get to look back 2,000 years to see how Jesus' predictions have in fact become fulfilled. And while I am sure that Peter had no doubts Jesus would one day be highly regarded and prominent, I doubt he could have even imagined exactly how Jesus' prediction that he would be exalted would be fulfilled and how it would look in our world. Here's what I mean. So because of costs and activity that gets associated with real estate and with buildings, buildings can be a good measure, a good indicator for us just how prominent, how influential an individual or an entity is. For example, all right, you and I, we don't have to travel that far in order to find a Starbucks coffee shop. They're all around the world, one on like every corner, it seems. And we don't have to travel far to see the recognizable golden arches of the McDonald's restaurants. They're in virtually like every airport in the world. It feels like you can throw a stone and hit one or the other because they each have about 35,000 stores each. So in terms of their footprint on this earth and in terms of business, I'm sure you would agree with me that their prevalence, their popularity, their prominence among other brands is pretty significant, right? Yet, as prevalent and as prominent as Starbucks and McDonald's are, Jesus's real estate footprint, it surpasses them exponentially. So around the world, like Monuments and buildings like the Cameo Theater, for example, that are dedicated to Jesus, they total, not in the thousands, but 37 million in number. Meaning that Jesus' influence, at least in terms of money being given to real estate and activity associated with it, it's at least a thousand times more than Starbucks and McDonald's. And then like the Texas City which means the body of Christ, Corpus Christi. Around the world, there is an estimated 40,000 towns and cities which honor Jesus' movement in some way. Among all the vast data that's stored on our internet today, one out of every 10,000 words, it's the most significant out of every word on the internet, it references Jesus' name. In the book, Who's Bigger?, which explored impact and which explored influence of various figures throughout human history, Jesus was ranked the most historically significant contributor to our world. Similarly, Times Magazine, in their list of the top 100 most influential people ever, guess who was named the most influential person to have lived? You guessed it. We've been talking about him for like 30 minutes. His name is Jesus. And so, if you and I have any concerns. I want you to know that we have way more proof than Peter did that Jesus can be trusted and that humility is in fact the way to prominence. It is paramount in our lifestyle if we are going to experience the praise and the rewards that he wants to dole out to us because it's just as Jesus predicted and it's as is evident in our world today that whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Now, Okay, I know you guys might be thinking, all right, Lee, that's great for Jesus. That's fantastic for his movement and the spread of it and the growth of it. But how will clothing myself in humility actually impact me? Like, how can I be sure that thinking more of others and thinking of others more will actually work for my life? Well, what Georgia State University professor of psychological services and counseling, Don Davis, 
discovered, it answers those questions. So Dr. Davis, he specializes in studying how humility fosters healthier and happier lives. He literally wrote the handbook of humility. That's the title of his textbook. And his work, it suggests that folks who think more of others and folks who think of others more, those who clothe themselves in humility, they tend to have stronger social bonds with others. They promote a sense of oneness when they're with other people, which increases their commitment and increases engagement and ultimately increases relational fulfillment. Living humbly, it's linked to your ability. It's linked to my ability in order to learn and to remember and in order to solve problems. Dr. Davis thus sees humility as the secret sauce for creativity and greater innovation. Humility, it actually boosts people's performance and it is the primary, the most important indicator in whether or not a person will be successful and be uh, flourishing as a result of all of this, let me just say really quickly, if you are dating or if you're in the position to hire, hire somebody who is humble. Because as a result of all this, folks who are humble, they will experience uh, less stress, fewer negative experiences, and they have a greater influence, a greater impact among people because they're more attracted to and they're more accepting of people who are different from them. So they have greater experiences. They'll treat your customers way better. And all of which is necessary to serve and to shepherd people, to care for their well-being as Jesus expects of us. Now check this. The inverse is also true. Dr. Davis's work, he found that folks who elevate themselves above others, folks who are mainly concerned with their own interest and primarily concerned with their own well-being, folks who don't clothe themselves in humility, they tend to dramatically overvalue their own knowledge and dramatically overvalue their own talents, which leads to regrettable, costly, and irreparable decisions. Self-interested, self-serving folks, they will struggle to form any sort of social bonds. And so over time, this will lead to a weakened mental and emotional state of health. Folks who exalt themselves, they eventually deal with amplified levels of stress, they're, and then they have poor overall long-term health outcomes. And so their mental, emotional, physical health, as well as their influence, it will be brought down to rubble. It's just as what else Jesus promised, that whoever exalts himself, whoever praises and promotes himself, that person will be humbled. So... Y'all, it's for these very reasons that Jesus wanted us to serve others and to be slaves to his kingdom movement because it's by his design that it actually serves us as well. It's for these reasons that Peter wanted us to live as folks who will guard and guide, protect and provide, folks who will shepherd others' well-being because doing so ultimately improves your well-being. It helps you build Resilience, And so Jesus and Peter, they know exactly what they're talking about. And so you and I, we have to constantly clothe ourselves in humility. And so where do we start? Where might you start? Where might I start to start caring more about others, thinking more of others and thinking of others more? What's our starting point to begin to clothing ourselves in humility daily? Well, Peter gave us a starting point. And 
what Peter said for us, it actually reminds me of what you'll see in uh, lifestyle makeover shows like What Not to Wear. Y'all ever seen that show? So in What Not to Wear, style experts, they confront and they will evaluate a person's ill-flattered fashion choices, right? They'll enter a person's home, they'll go through and examine all of their clothing and their wardrobe and any items that don't maximize a person's best attributes or that are considered uh, unflattering, that are, I'm trying to put it in a nice way, things that need to get tossed out. Ultimately, what happens is they get labeled uh, not, what not to wear, And so uh, with utter disgust and with disdain, those clothes will eventually get tossed or they'll get cast into a trash can. And in the same way that those items that no longer are deemed appropriate for a person to wear or to put on display in public, the way that they get cast into the trash, well, Peter said that you and I, that we begin to live humbly when we toss out or cast from our lives that which no longer looks good on us when we have a new life in Jesus. And what doesn't look good on us anymore is self-absorption and self-interest and self-promotion or any self-preservation, anything to do with the focus on self. Peter referred to all of these selfish concerns as our cares. And he said, we must trash our selfish cares in this way. He said, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that he may, and repeating and regurgitating what he learned from Jesus, that he may exalt you at the proper time. Casting, here it is, trashing the selfishness, casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. He created you. He created me to live in community, to desire connection with other people, not to be about ourselves. And so, What Peter encouraged his recipients to do with their selfishness, I challenge you to join me in doing daily starting today. And so let's together, let's daily decide that we will cast or we will trash our self-interest, which is a natural tendency that we all struggle with. And let's start our days and let's reset throughout the day because we're going to need to, asking our Father to help us cast away our selfishness and then clothing us with Jesus's Humility. Now, to help make casting our cares and clothing ourselves in caring for other people a daily discipline, here's what I hope to do. I hope to create for us a concrete word association that you won't soon forget that perhaps you'll teach your children or your grandchildren. Because Peter's teaching today that we have explored, because it's so closely associated with like literal clothing, taking off your old clothes, putting on new clothes, I hope that from this day forth, you and I, that we will associate Peter's teaching on humility with any and every sight, touch, or thought about literal clothing. Here's what I mean. So anytime I get home and I take off my work clothes, anytime I'm throwing dirty clothes in the hamper, anytime I'm putting dirty clothes in the washing machine, anytime I'm going through old clothes and I'm evaluating what I want to trash, what I want to recycle, what I want to give away, I am going to associate, I'm going to remember hopefully Jesus's teachings to cast away those old disgusting things that no longer look good on me. And so I'm going to pray something along these lines to ask God to help me cast my selfish cares. And you can follow along on the screen. It says, Father, help me cast away any self-interest and help me care for others like you do. You can say a similar prayer. 
And then every morning as I'm getting dressed for work and I'm going through my closet and I'm about to pick out a piece of clothing or anytime I'm at the store and I'm trying on new clothes or I'm going through all of the clothing racks or anytime I receive a gift or if I'm, lo- I'm looking in my daughter's closet, I'm going to put some clothes on her. I'm hoping to associate all of that experience with clothing myself in Jesus's Humility. So again, I'll say something along these lines. And this time, all right, on the count of three, I want you guys to say with me the prayer that's displayed on the screen. So here we go. One, two, three. Father, help me cast away any self-interest and help me care for others like you do. Now, let's together, let's practice this discipline just one more time, all right? I want to make this a concrete exercise, and so here's what I'm going to ask you guys to do. I want you to grab a literal piece of clothing, whether it's your sleeve. For some of y'all who are here in the Cameo Theater and in the cafe, you can grab this article of clothing that you received when you came into the theater. Make sure whatever piece of clothing you're grabbing that it's your own, it's not somebody else's. That would be pretty awkward. And so... Here's what I want us to do. I want you to visualize this. I want you to imagine this scenario that happens for us every single day, or hopefully pretty often. As you are going into your drawer, let's imagine you're going into your drawer and you're pulling out your chonas or something like that, right? Or you're going into your closet, you found the shirt that you're going to wear that day. And now with this article of clothing in your hand as a reminder that you want to cast your cares, these selfish cares, and you want to clothe yourself in Jesus's humility. Let's say together the prayer that's on the screen. Here we go. One, two, three. Father, help me cast away any self-interest and help me care for others like you do. Pretty simple, right? I mean, we see and deal and interact with clothing all the time. And so hopefully this association will be forever burned into your minds. It's that important. And here we go. Home stretch. Here's what I'm convinced of. I am convinced that if you daily ask our heavenly father to cast from you any selfishness and to clothe you in Jesus's humility, that over time you will find yourself more readily and more eagerly kicking up dust to meet others' needs, to relieve them and to refresh them. You will more willingly forego your own interests and you will instead prioritize our heavenly father's interest of caring for the well-being of others. And in so doing, you will strengthen your social bonds. You will lower your stress. You will improve your own well-being. And our Father, as he promised, he will relieve you. He will refresh you. He will refine you. You will be a display of resilience to the world, but not just that. I am convinced that if you do what we just did, that if you daily ask our Father to help you cast away any self-interest and to clothe you in Jesus's humility, that like he did with Jesus and like he did with Peter, that our Father, he will promote you. You will be praised. You will be prominent. You will be exalted. Your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, they will say that you are among the most influential, most impactful individuals in their lives. You will have made a lasting impact and left your mark on this world. And then when Jesus returns in front of his entire kingdom, you will be celebrated. He will say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my joy. And he will reward you with your unfading crown of glory. But if you don't cast your cares, if you're not intentional to cast away self interest you may find yourself in the way of the now collapsed Roman Empire. Humbled, 
And so, my brothers and sisters, clothe yourselves in humility. And this concludes our resilient series. And so here's what we're going to do. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray, and then you guys will be dismissed. Those of you still joining us digitally, don't yet close out the browser. Just a few brief thoughts to share with you. Next week, our lead pastor, Doug Robbins, is back. We are kicking off that series through the book of Revelation to study what was, what is, and what is to come. And so make sure you guys are joining us, whether via Facebook Live or YouTube, or you're back here in the Cameo Theater. And I would encourage you, bring your Bibles or bring your digital Bibles. We're gonna go through the book of Revelation. Also, if you need any prayer, Visit citytribe.church slash prayer or visit the prayer tent out in the breezeway. We have folks that want to serve you. Lastly, as always, we thank you in advance for your generosity. We are a faith community that is a not-for-profit organization. We do depend on everybody's contributions to continue the work that we're doing, to give messages that put Jesus on display and that promote love and that promote humility, which our world absolutely needs right now. So before you go, be sure you go to citytribe.church slash tithe. You can give in a number of ways. You can give via mail. You can give via text. Those of you who are here in person, you can give at the giving stations. But as always, whether it's a penny, whether it's a dollar, whether it's your entire paycheck, man, your generosity is appreciated. Thank you, thank you, thank you guys. And so with that, let's pray. And you all will be dismissed. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Peter. We thank you for his experiences with Jesus and how those experiences transformed his life. We thank you that that's evidence for us of the power of Jesus' resurrection and his ascension into heaven. And we just pray, Lord, that everybody who heard the message today, that a seed would be planted in their lives and that we would all be a people that anytime we interact with clothing, physical, literal clothing, that we would be reminded of Peter's encouragement to us to cast away what no longer looks good on us, any self-interest, self-promotion, self-absorption, and instead to put on the humility that Jesus portrayed for us when he walked this earth, when he died on the cross. And so, Lord, I, I just ask that you would help us go and live humbly, that we may exalt you and you may exalt us. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. And everyone who agreed said, amen. God bless you, City Tribe. I love y'all. We're glad you were part of the tribe today. To further connect with us, check citytribe.church.